Abe's Ukulele Podcast, the podcast for players and teachers of the ukulele to get better at that. I'm Abe. Thanks for hanging out. I'm so happy to share with you today the conversation I had with Christopher Davis Shannon, also known as Banjolele Tin Man. Christopher and I both played and taught at the ukulele soiree this year. If you're a long-time listener of the show, you might remember him from my inspiration episode. It's taken us some time, but we finally met and got to chat on tape about the ukulele, performing, teaching, and lots of other stuff. Oddly enough, I don't think we talked about banjolelis at all. In any case, there's tons of great stuff in here, so let's jump right in. Christopher Davis Shannon's music is the essence of honest simplicity. Bringing together influence ranging from Fats Waller to Chet Baker He creates an atmosphere that will instantly transport you back to jazz clubs and speakeasies of the early 20th century. Not content with being labeled a traditionalist, he forges ahead breathing new life into old classics, weaving together a sound that is enjoyed by both young and old. As a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and educator based in Philadelphia, Davis Shannon maintains a steady tour schedule with his own music as well as a sideman for various acts. He brings to the stage not just a pure joy of music, but a vast knowledge of the history behind the songs that he holds close to his heart. His intricate instrumental work and plaintive vocals are infused with soulfulness, which cannot be faked, and a respect for his predecessors, which is rarely equaled. All right, so I'm here at the ukulele soiree with the one and only Banjolele Tin Man. What's up, Chris? Not much. I'm not... We finally meet. It's true. This is cool. Um, Chris, you're a teacher and a performer on the ukulele, and I'd love to talk about those two separately. But first, um, what about teaching while performing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think... and. And performing while teaching mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I think they really go hand in hand. You know, your your yeah. perf- my performances at least I love delving back to the historical context of mm-hmm. of songs while I'm doing it, and then teaching in and of itself is mm-hmm. I think at, at least a bit performance art. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I sometimes feel as though I'm doing a theater performance while I'm while I'm teaching because I'm not. I'm not a big, like, huge personality. Mm-hmm. I'm generally pretty quiet mm. <laughs> in everyday life. But when you're up in front of, you know, 50, 100 people mm-hmm. showing things, you have to to bring them in. So it's it's putting on a theatrical performance to make everything happen. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the fun of it, is, yeah. is getting into the character that's really just yourself, mm. but a slightly exaggerated <laughs> I know version you of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially working with kids. We we both teach kids. I run mm-hmm. some kids uh, group classes as young as three years old. And the, wow! And the way that you have to treat that is mm-hmm. so different from from teaching adults. You know, you need to be their best friend and their worst enemy at the same time, mm-hmm. um, while keeping them in the game, <laughs> which is always yeah. the hardest part. Is an attention span of more than. Five Not minutes, yeah. and that 
that takes some acting <laughs> to, That's funny. to make happen. Yeah, the, one of um, one of my students today, she was telling me she's a teacher also, and she was like, "Yeah, we're adults, but you need to also treat us like middle schoolers." <laughs> oh, so much. <laughs> kind of like yeah, yeah. It helps a lot to just always be almost like almost always be moving, always yes. be moving to the next thing, but not overwhelmingly so. You don't want to zip through things as quickly yeah. as possible. Well, teaching is kind of like putting together a set list mm-hmm. for performance. You have to pace things. Mm-hmm correctly or else it just doesn't flow you can't do five so- five ragtime songs mm-hmm. in a row and then do a ballad you know you, you have can, to split things but- you can but no one will like it <laughs> yeah and that's true. Uh, i wouldn't like playing it <laughs> my wrist would be pretty sore at the end of that but the, the same thing with teaching you know you need mm-hmm. to keep that the flow going more than just barreling through yeah everything and and always being cognizant of that we're teaching something that we know so well, mm-hmm. and that's why we're teaching it. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to gloss over minute details. Yeah. And tough to avoid sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to put yourself in the position of where you were when you did not know what you're trying to teach someone. Definitely. It's like, sometimes I have no idea. It's like, I can't understand. And I get frustrated. Look, I and my remember. students get frustrated. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know. So you were talking about reading music earlier, teaching mm-hmm. some of that. And I've been reading music since I was six years old, maybe mm. seven. I mean, I've been playing different instruments for so long that when I teach new students how mm-hmm. to um, to read music, it's really awkward to take that mm. far of a step back and start from scratch. Mm-hmm. You're trying to remember how did how did I learn this and what actually worked. Yeah. But that's you know, it's part of the, the joy of these festivals as well, as we can drop in on workshops with other mm-hmm. instructors on things that we, we know or don't know or would like to learn and see how other people present yeah. that material. And I think just being amongst other teachers is so beneficial for mm-hmm. all of us. Definitely. Even, I mean, just as simple as the feedback you get from adults is much better than from kids. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, kids will just say, I hate you. And it's like, yeah. uh, okay, I know you're upset about this thing, but that's kind of harsh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, you know, you hear things like, so, you know, Mr. Abe's class is so boring. And it's like, ah, oh, that really ouch, hurts. Ouch. But at the same time, it's like, I know you had a really tough day. It wasn't just my class, you yes. know. Um so yeah, festivals. It's very, very valuable as a teacher and a perform performer, teacher and uh, someone who's learning. Per teacher, we're all learning, right? Yeah, all at the same time. So that's everybody. Um, I love what you said about the set list. When you're teaching, you schedule like a set list. I try to do that, but most of the time it goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it always does. Well, I mean, and same as when you get on stage, you you write a set list and then you play the first song and look at the crowd and go. This is all going to change now. <laughs> Let's that's, do something different. Like yeah, yeah. You're like, well, this mm-hmm. is, you know, you're looking at, they, they love those medium swing tunes. There's people mm-hmm. dancing in the back. Yo, so you need to keep that, that Don't 130 it. BPM going yeah. for a little bit to, to keep the audience getting what they want out of your performance because your know, performance in and of itself can can seem like such a selfish practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that and, and maybe like for some songwriters, it is, you know, you're up there mm-hmm. for yourself. And it, it more when you're doing your own tunes, I think sometimes that yeah. there's that personal aspect to it. But sometimes stepping back as a performer and remembering that you're 
you're performing for them. Mm-hmm. The show is for the people in the audience, yeah. not just you on stage. Which mm-hmm. means you should enjoy it, but it's something that I think we always have to be aware of. Yeah, as definitely. Performers. So true. I um, I tend to, well, when I perform, my go-to persona these days is kind of the moody sit back and just focus on my instrument i used to be a lot more i used to move a lot more but somehow it's like i just naturally tend to go and turn into what's most comfortable for me so in some sense i'm I'm a little more selfish in that way because i'm not always thinking about the audience but still i have to push myself to you know, I can't just ignore them completely. No matter what is most comfortable for me, because, like you yeah. said, it's it's for them. Well, this is this is the first time I've seen you perform live. I've mm. seen videos and I've heard your album, mm-hmm. but to actually see a full set of a performer mm. is totally different. And you you were amazing last night. And mm-hmm. I actually have Thank a question you. for you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How do you think that your your podcasting influences your your sets as a performer? Podcasting influencing my sets. I don't know if it does. <laughs> because I listening to your banter between mm-hmm. songs, which is sometimes internal but out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the audience relates to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like that's something you, because you do the podcasting and you mm. you do you do soliloquies essentially all the time that that mm. to me at least it seemed like that came out oh. in between tunes in such a positive mm-hmm. way because you're so good at performing to a microphone mm-hmm. as opposed to a room and there's a different thing in the back of your mind mm-hmm. doing that. You yeah, know? I guess you're right. That's very interesting. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> Just don't think about it ever I, again. <laughs> <laughs> when I podcast, usually it's I'm talking into the mic and I'm imagining a person. So it's, it's kind of strange. Like I don't have anyone to talk to, but if you're listening, it's very personal. It's like I'm talking directly to you. It is. And that's, that's what the joy about your podcast is, is that you, you feel as if you're just sitting in a room talking mm. to you. Mm. And, and so a lot of podcasts, I don't think really quite get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's someone talking into a microphone mm-hmm. instead. And that's different. And maybe that's something you get from performing. Maybe. That's very interesting. I'll have to explore that that concept more. (laughs) Podcasting, I mean, I guess naturally, yeah, definitely influences because it's two performances I do. Um, Right. And they're both scripted to some degree, but not completely. Um, The nice thing about with an audience is if I say something that I think might be funny and it does not connect at all, then I know right away. But if it's the podcast, if I say something ridiculous, I may never know. It's you know? true. Isn't that the worst when you're on stage and you ju- you drop a one-liner joke mm-hmm. like off the cuff? Yeah, and it just it just sinks like a rock. You're the only person in the room that thinks it's funny, which yeah. is most of my humor. <laughs> my I'm I'm not I'm not funny at mm-hmm. all. Like I, I'm full of really bad dad jokes from the 1940s. Dad jokes are great. Yeah, but not not ones that are socially acceptable anymore. And. Uh, <laughs> So I, d- I generally don't tell them, and sometimes they'll they'll just slip out as a natural thing. And I, ex- and, and inside I'm just I mean, I'm innately expecting a laugh, and then mm-hmm. I realize, no, this is only funny to me. <laughs> if you don't even get a groan, that's no. the worst. It's oh, like I'll take a groan, deadpan faces. You know, it's like, uh, it's, oh, you didn't understand that was a that was a joke guys, because I was... guess it wasn't <laughs> funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's not funny. Oh man, like um. The, the Mario Kart love song. I do that, that was, sometimes. That was great. I love that song. But sometimes I feel like maybe it doesn't work the same way because it 
you really have to be in Mario Kart. Uh, there's like generational context to yeah. that song that's so necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoy it because I grew up on it. You know, <laughs> yeah, on Mario here. Kart, like N64 Mario Kart mm-hmm. will forever be the best video game ever made. Word. That's <laughs> that's it. I could play that for the rest of my life and never, never play another that's game. A good game. So. But yeah, understanding the characters mm-hmm. and, and the gameplay is so important yeah. to that song. And it's okay. I mean, it's like half of it I know is a joke. And if the joke fails, it doesn't bother me because there's so many. When it's still a good song, even if you don't get yeah, it. Exactly. It's still a good song. It's still a good song. So and helps. I like to play it. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, I don't care what you think. I'm <laughs> going to do it. I'm here. You paid to see me. Exactly. This is so me. You're stuck with me. <laughs> you're stuck with me. Awesome. So your music, you say, is um, dance music for the old at heart. What does that mean? <laughs> That's a catchphrase I've been using since I was probably 23 or 24. Okay. So, you know, 10, 10 years or so. And my musical persona has evolved over that time. I played jazz for a long time, but I didn't really get into the more traditional mm-hmm. jazz until as five or six years ago. I was doing a lot of folk music mm-hmm. and I know more boff, like modern jazz before that. Um, But all of my music always skewed towards not this time. (laughs) Um, Uh And that's that's how I've always been. It's it's partially just how I was brought up in the music I listened Mm -hmm. to when I was growing up. I listened to Broadway show tunes and Mm -hmm. Nat King Cole. And those are the records that were records. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not old enough that I should have been listening to vinyl records, but... We had, our playroom was like the basement of my parents' house. My brother and I had a record player down there mm-hmm. and just a record collection. So we listened to mm-hmm. that, not not the radio. Mm. I didn't know, you know, pop tunes were a thing for a large portion of my life. But I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm so thankful for it mm-hmm. to my parents. Um, they, they gave me good diversity in music. Um, but the dance music for the old at heart, I think it's you – know, every, everyone's old at heart they just don't know it Mm. and when you play you play a swing tune that a 12 year old doesn't know Mm -hmm. but it still resonates with them and Mm -hmm. they want to dance that's important i had someone come up to me today and told me that they they bought my album you know some months ago and their i think his 10 year old is in charge of their itunes when they're in the car and she had to ban him from playing Who's Honey Are You off my record because he <laughs> loved it so much. And I was like, that's that's it. That's the dance music for the old at heart. It's nice. for, these, for these, every age group, I think, can appreciate this mm-hmm. music if it's presented in the right way. Wow. And that I don't like to like pigeonhole demographics yeah you know i want <laughs> i want everyone to love me what about what about young at heart <laughs> like oh that's interesting yeah when you play music that like you said someone doesn't know and then it's just like it hits them they're like oh, yeah and there's good. and there's so many of those songs that are 100 years old now mm-hmm. that you listen to now and it's still emotionally relevant to yeah. the to the listener and maybe not culturally as much mm-hmm. as it was at the time, but there's still something there. Mm-hmm. You listen to those Irvin Berlin tunes and the, the Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields songs. I mean, Sunny Side of the Street. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love that tune? If you don't love that tune, you don't have a soul. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can agree with that. That's a good song. Great song. Oh, oh man. I had a thought and I lost it. That's where most of mine go. Often in the universe. <laughs> anyway, um, 
So speaking of old at heart, it's very cool to see vinyls coming back. Yes. I mean, maybe it's too late to say that. They've been coming They've back. They've been back. It's, um, it's a thing now. Yeah. And I, I think it's great. It's still semi-cost prohibitive on independent artists, mm-hmm. which is tough. But as we see more vinyl pressing plants reopening, mm-hmm. the costs are dropping. Mm. You know, economics, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like we just did, um, I took my band, my trio up to, to Brooklyn last mm-hmm. summer. There's a great studio up there, least of all studios that um, I don't think he has a computer in there. <laughs> Uh, he has wow. a lathe cut machine. He has a mm-hmm. mixer, and you play into microphones, and it cuts directly into the discs and makes a single, a one-off wow. performance. We did a series of like 35 of them, mm-hmm. of my original tunes. And it's just, yeah, it, it, there is something special about putting yourself on a uh, on a piece of vinyl. But then, like, who no one buys CDs anymore. Yeah. And the merch scene is is tough for for artists to find what, what you can sell because there's yeah. no intrinsic value to a CD anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially true. not digital music. There's just yeah. nothing there. So I'm glad to see vinyl come back in that regard. I just, I would like to see it be even more accessible to, to indies you yeah. know, than, than it is now. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's getting there, um, but it's taken, going to take some time. Yeah. I love the experience the physical experience of getting a CD because that's what I grew up with, and sure. it's you know it's phased out slowly. It's not as exciting, but with vinyl, it brings back that so much more, especially with the yeah. inserts and the stories, and, and even the just truth. the artwork you get with it. Yeah, because when you listen to a song on Spotify, there's something lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that that tangible quality of mm-hmm. holding holding a piece of art in your hand and a piece of art on so many levels. I mean, the design that goes into yeah. jackets and the, you know, printed lyrics and, mm-hmm. and being able to see the personnel list, which is one of my absolute favorite oh. things of looking at the old records. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at, you look at like, you take like 1959, is long considered one of the best years mm-hmm. in like improvisational jazz, you know, Coltrane and Miles Davis coming out. You look at the personnel list of the records and you're like, it's like the same guys hanging out like at three o'clock in the studio cutting different records all all year straight. Like, what is this? And and I like to see it because you still see that, especially in like the folk music scene and even in the jazz scene, mm-hmm. a lot of the same guys, there's so much cross-pollination yeah. there. Um, and I like to see who's playing, not just the name on the cover, but mm-hmm. the entire backing band yeah. and seeing everyone get credit i think that's a joy of vinyl too is having room for the personnel list mm-hmm. so i can i can you know hire the bass player i want because i know he played on a record <laughs> yeah that was very cool i like that um you know chris thiele mandolin oh, yeah. player I've, I've heard him reference to me this weekend a couple times um and he's he's done that i found a lot of new artists through him just yeah. seeing what he's played on michael daves yeah have I, you heard that duo record yes it's so amazing when we did the vinyl session in brooklyn mm-hmm. we booked uh Rockwood the night before I okay. crashed at my friend's house. It was Rockwood on Tuesday night, which we mm-hmm. didn't know is Michael Dave's night. He's there every Tuesday oh, for nice. like the last 15 years. So we walk in and we're on after Michael Dave's. Wow. Which is a very humbling <laughs> experience mm-hmm. to say the least. He's he's playing this like this harmony parlor guitar. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the action. You're like, that thing needs a neck reset. Yeah. And, <laughs> tearing it up yeah. better than I could ever play a six string instrument. We're just like 
<laughs> jaws on the floor. I was that was quite a night. <laughs> Do we have to follow him? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, he um Chris Thiele recommended Kate Rusby and then she did um a 20th anniversary album and it's just all collaborations with all these other artists too. So it's like just seeing people that play with people and yeah. you just find all these um uh, it's like Edgar Meyer for me, who yeah. played with Chris Thiele. Yeah, Chris Thiele. Uh, who's the guitarist? Critter. Critter, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget his name. Chris Eldridge. Yeah. Yes. Um, he plays with Julian Lage. Oh, I saw that duo oh, at so good. Johnny Brandes in Philly last year. You could, what killed me, I've seen so many rock shows at that mm-hmm. venue. Like, it's loud, but it's yeah. raucous, and everyone's there, and it's sold out show. And these two guys walk out on stage to a single Neumann condenser mic mm-hmm. with two acoustic guitars. And play instrumental acoustic music for an like hour and a half. You could have heard a pin drop. Jeez. No one dared talk while they played. And it was just, it was one of the most like ethereal concerts mm-hmm. I've ever been to. Just two mind blowing musicians having a blast together. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a blessing mm-hmm. <laughs> to see that. Definitely. So, speaking of instruments, you are, uh, not really an ukulele player. Don't tell I've, anyone. I've been led to believe. Um, what, if, is that true? What What do you usually play most? All right, so I'm, I'm going to qualify this with. <laughs> I don't like being pigeonholing people as inst- specific instrumentalists because mm-hmm. um, I view, I conceptually view music as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. like we play music. It doesn't matter what instrument we play. Like you can. You know, you can cut a piece of wood with a lot of different tools mm-hmm. if you need your to. Your hand. But in the city, yeah. <laughs> As we know, you're a karate master. <laughs> yeah. But you can, you know, it, I don't think the instrument matters mm. at all. And I approach all of them so differently and they all complement each other. I don't think I'd be nearly the uke player I was if I didn't also play other instruments my entire mm. life. I mean, I, I studied upright bass in college mm-hmm. and I still play a lot of upright bass, probably my primary instrument. Mm. Um, but I also play guitar quite a lot, and I, you know, I I get to do that, and they all just help each other, especially bass and uke, which mm-hmm. you think are so far apart from each other. But coming to uke as a bass player and approaching the instrument like that with a bass line always stuck in my head mm. and figure out the chord substitutions and the drop voicings that I can throw over top of the bass line that I'm mm-hmm. hearing while I'm playing uke, I think is so, so beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I so I, I'm lucky in that I get to play the music that I like 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't really take gigs of music I don't want to play. I don't play with a wedding band or anything. Mm-hmm. Like that. I play weddings with my band mm-hmm. and, and do my thing, but I play all pre-1950s jazz, mm. blues, ragtime on different instruments. Mm. And each gig is a challenge, in, but also a learning experience on how, like I've, I've, I played a gig last week playing rhythm guitar for, for a swing dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily I had my uke with me because I broke a string halfway through the last set and ended up playing rhythm oh, uke wow. for the rest of the, uh, the set, banjo, banjo uke. Um, but it was, they were calling, I'd never played with the band. It was, they were calling tunes that I knew, but most I, I'd never played on guitar. Mm-hmm. But I played on uke mm-hmm. or on bass a million times. And it's just an eye-opening experience to pick up a new instrument and be like, I know this song 
but <laughs> not like this. <laughs> not not like this. It's like so how to like I can't just play it like I play it on uke on mm -hmm. guitar. That doesn't work. Mm. You know, so you have to take the limitations of the instrument. Mm -hmm. And that's that's probably my favorite thing about uke and especially high G uke with a 12 fret neck on it. Mm. Is it's you know, like soprano is mm -hmm. what I love to play and that's why you get an octave and a half of effective range. <laughs> and two strings that are a whole step apart from each other, that's a ridiculous instrument. <laughs> but it's so much, there's so much you can do within that tiny framework mm -hmm. there. And it pushes you to approach musical concepts in a different way. And, and same way on bass, you know, there's, there's technique things. I can blow a solo on guitar that I could never imagine playing on bass. It's just mm -hmm. physically impossible. So you need to sit there and go, what works with what I have mm -hmm. to work with and how can I express my musical ideas mm. in this framework? So I, yeah, I don't have a main instrument. That's the, the question you asked me, right? That's I what I asked I, you. I, I, Which I'm terrible at answering questions. Maybe no, I should okay. go into politics. <laughs> Maybe, no, I think that was great. I mean, I was gonna ask, um, how does your playing other instruments influence ukulele but you basically just answered yeah. it um i'm a little concerned now maybe we need to get rid of the ukulele soiree and make it just an instrument soiree yeah i'll have to but talk there, to mike there's <laughs> something to be said about uke festivals mm -hmm. i've been to a lot of like folk festivals and and other music festivals mm -hmm. throughout the years and there's there really is a joy to uke like there's mm -hmm. just love here yeah there's no ego mm -hmm. amongst amongst any of the performers i've met mm -hmm. at uke festivals any of the attendees Everyone's here for the same purpose. Like we just want to mm -hmm. play this instrument, advance this instrument, yeah, and have fun. Mm -hmm. Which some people I think lose the sight of fun, of especially professional musicians. Mm -hmm. When you're doing it day in and day out, sometimes you lose sight of why it becomes you a job. Do and this, and it is. But yeah. but I think with any job, you don't have to hate your job. No, you don't. And. If you do, you should do something else. For sure. <laughs> and I know that's like, that's that's a <laughs> huge thing to say and not an option available to that's everyone too radical, man. In, in the world. Like, I, I, I get that, but I think you should always be like chasing that. True. Chasing the, the fulfillment of mm -hmm. what drives you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely something to say about... Um, everybody playing the same instrument it's it's got a lot of power so yeah obviously you can't i don't think multi-instrument workshops really work nearly as well and then no. you know you hear a lot it's the instrument of aloha and it's definitely not overset i think um it's really true if you play and hang out with any other type of instrumentalists it's not nearly the same yeah not, not to hate on other I'm people say the closest <laughs> are bass players because mm. bass players are just thrown in the back of the band no one notices them, so they they kind of get to the same point as you mm -hmm. players, but they're they're more serious. That's the they probably the problem. have the most work to do uh, apart from drummers, but drummers are known for having egos, right? I don't know. I don't, are they I musicians? Don't, <laughs> I don't want to knock other musicians, but uh, I played percussion in college, so <laughs> I definitely should not hate on other musicians. Um, percussion and voice. I did not really play drum set, but mm. I had to. If I had to, I, I did. But um, yeah, just that, that whole idea of like, if you have one group of one type of instrument, what are the people like? And yeah. for, for ukulele, it's like, just so happy. 
and inviting and amazing and egoless. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have an ego, so you know, me too. I, I'm trying Huge. to. Yeah. I'm trying to get rid of that. <laughs> um, you need to come to these things and watch people play so much better than you, uh, and then you go home and and there goes your what ego am out I doing? the window. Yeah. At least for me. What is he doing? <laughs> oh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, this is your first time at the soiree, right? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? I'm loving it. Oh, that's great. You you taught all your classes so far, or you still have more? No, to I go? still have one tomorrow more. I'm doing my my advanced ragtime one tomorrow. Okay. So I did a a jazz jazz uke for everybody this morning, mm-hmm. which is uh, breaking down some standards into you know like three four chord progressions that okay. still were and bringing it back to the pop music that it was with Tim Pan Alley mm-hmm. you'll post post the New Orleans when it really hit big and there were all those hits and bringing those songs back as songs as opposed to oh my gosh I have to improvise over this mm-hmm. which I think I think a lot of people get scared by the word jazz without realizing the full history of the word where it comes from mm-hmm. and the music that got us to what we now think of as jazz you know that post swing era of jazz Mm -hmm. is when you say the word people have the deer in the headlights look they're like oh that thing um but there's there's 50 years of history before that happened and like you think about the old new orleans brass bands Mm -hmm. it's music for dancing it's music for partying for parades it's fun great and uh and i just i I want people to kind of remember that as much as i love modern jazz Mm -hmm. as well personally um but i I think with any musical pursuit, but especially like folk idioms, which I group jazz mm-hmm. in with. It's it's American folk music mm-hmm. through and through. But especially with folk idioms, that you you have to understand the history of the music to f- really play it. Mm. You know, you can look at notes on a page, but if you don't have that visceral reaction of mm-hmm. knowing where it came from, there's something lacking mm. to me yeah it's distinctly american too yeah it's, it's like it's one of those things like it could have happened nowhere else at any other time yeah we are it was it was a magic thing that that happened in mm-hmm. america and i'll i'll argue till i'm blue in the face it's like the ultimate cult- cultural gift that america gave the world <laughs> is jazz yeah i won't <laughs> fight you on that i definitely think it's um an incredible thing it's a little like a classical music and that you can't just say jazz and then you know exactly what it is because with classical exactly. music it's like are you talking about john cage or what yeah. what are you what are you talking about? mozart yeah. i know mozart <laughs> yeah right that's like i heard a mozart piece <sighs> once what yeah. about stravinsky he counts right yeah but those it's like <sighs> all the different stravinsky's one of all the different composers so different it's the same with jazz it's like it could yeah, be and slow how it grew and, throughout the years but it's yeah. still rooted in the same mm-hmm. theoretical concepts I yeah guess. yeah or maybe John Cage, which is is not. <laughs> uh, I, maybe I should check. Is John Cage classical? I always thought he was, but I, yeah, oh yeah, certainly. I saw Mi- minimalist modern. Yeah, classical. I saw a piece uh, performed by him live. Um, it was the one with amplified cactuses. Yeah, and it's like this is really weird, but also kind of interesting. Yeah, like, well, I think of him like the outgrowth musically of like Dadaism mm-hmm. in art, just. Mm. And, and French existentialism at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the absurdity that can be art, but still be like high grand mm-hmm. art and and connect. Mm. Um, yeah, 433. Like I, that piece. I, <laughs> you don't, when you see it live, 
mm-hmm. I feel like you get it. Yeah. You hear the concept, you go, that's stupid. Yeah. But then you go sit in a concert hall for four minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah. And there's there's something there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's not like all his songs are like that. Because you could say, I can write that. But yeah. It's not, it doesn't really work because it's like the idea has been done. Nobody's thought of that right. before. The performance is the performance. I did part of that yeah. for um, one of my college classes. I think it was like a senior <laughs> capstone kind of class. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to play this piece by John Cage. And the other musicians in the class, they were like, I know, I know what he's doing. Such a all, the, all the other non musicians. <laughs> you were that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy. Uh, all the other non musicians were just so perplexed. Like, what? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm playing I'm that weird. piece without a true introduction to oh, it is yeah. pretty. Uh... <laughs> yeah, um, we did a lot of Steve Reich mm. in or Reich. I've heard both. I think I it's know. Reich, but uh, I he can't gets even, paid a lot. And his... I can't even pronounce you correctly. So <laughs> it's ukulele, okay? I'm going to try. But uh, Just embarrass yeah, myself. Steve Reich, he his pieces are like one thing for ten minutes, and he mm. changes it like. In the most, well, minimalist way, it's like, yeah, and it looks on paper like so boring. And if you give it time and you listen to it, like, it's going to rain. You know that one? I don't know that one. It's going to rain is two people saying it's going to rain for, I don't know, seven minutes or a long time. <laughs> and it's slowly, one sped up, one slowed down, you know, like so slowly they're out of phase with each other. Yeah. Kind of like, um, oh, cool. Uh, what is it? Piano phase or two pianos? I forget what it's called, but. Same rhythm for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. It's like forever. But if you really listen to it, it's like, this is kind of incredible. This guy's onto something. This might sound like something you need to do some LSD to yeah. fully appreciate. Ugh. Is this from the 60s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you talked about jazz. What were the other workshops? We got off on a tangent. That's oh, okay. yeah. I like tangents. but um, I'm, I'm big on tangents myself. You're going to do advanced ragtime tomorrow. Did you do beginner ragtime today? Well, yeah, beginner jazz and the I, I think the, the right-hand techniques in ragtime and jazz kind of get grouped into okay. each other since yeah, you have ukulele, Ike, and, and Roy Smack and all mm-hmm. that. And they were the jazz of uke but whether you really want to call it jazz there's more mm. rag time the swing wasn't as wide it's yeah. kind of, one of those weird little things but then i did a uh i did an old time and blues like banjolele workshop today as mm. well so i did claw hammer and uh and some other just like right hand uh banjo techniques adapted to to uke which kind of works on wood ukes but works better on banjos mm. <laughs> Really, so that's it's it's a fun one, but something completely different. Yeah, that's like pre jazz mm-hmm. music adapted to it. So something that was never really played on the instrument at mm-hmm. all. We're just faking it. You know, you go back, <laughs> you go back in the old time scene and before uke was invented, mm-hmm. <laughs> that existed. Hmm. Cool. That sounds like some good classes. Um, Benjamin Lieutenant Man, do you hear that? Is that your ringtone? Listener, do you hear that? <laughs> There's a banjolele outside of our uh, hotel room. Be gone, evil beast. <laughs> Be gone. Okay. Um, so, Mr. Tin Man, uh, I could talk to you all day about all this stuff. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Um, do you have any gigs or uh, teaching opportunities that you have coming up in the summer that you want people to know about? I do. Um, I will be teaching at the uh, Pennsylvania Folk College the end of last weekend in May. Um, and I'll be the U instructor there, but it's all 
early folk music taught. And that, that is all instruments, but the workshops are tailored to each specific instrument. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be at the NJ Ukefest um, up in Moorestown, New that's Jersey. New Jersey. North, North Jersey, yeah. Um, and that's the last weekend in August, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll so put the dates two, in the show notes. Great, yeah, because I don't have them on. That's fine. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, two two good festivals coming up, and I'll be I'll be teaching and performing. Cool. at both. Well, that's gonna do it for this year's Allegheny Ukulele Soiree Special. I know it's a bit shorter overall than last year, but it was a little tough for me to work on the podcast while also teaching and performing. In any case, I cannot wait to go back next year. Whether I'm teaching, performing, or just sneaking around grabbing people for interviews, I had a blast, and I hope you got a lot out of these episodes. Make sure to check out last year's episodes. If you haven't, you can hear them in the podcast feed or by going to ookpodcast.com. If you want an extra little audio treat, you can become a Tip Jar subscriber or join the podcast club over at Patreon. Your support helps cover the costs of creating the show, like editing, production, promotion, hosting, and even travel costs. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of the show. You can send a note directly through the feedback link in the show notes. I promise to never spam you or misuse your information. If you'd like to get emails with ukulele news, you can head to ukpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. Until next time, stay tuned, my friend. Aloha. Aloha.